Welcome back to Vertigo, a House of Bob Lancer campaign set in the distant Long Rim. Hi, I'm Dan. I'm playing Rusk Tilson, call sign Vestige, the over the hill super soldier. I'm Sean, and I'm playing Petrocles, call sign Exodus, the adolescent war priest of Ares. This is Alex. I'll be playing Matt Rioska, call sign PCB, the ever loyal union loving droid. Hi, I'm Schubert. I'll be playing Val, call sign Valkyrie, a techno Viking monster hunter. And I'm Jake, your game master. If you'd like to support the show, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, stop by our Patreon, or tell your friends about us. Roll on. Last episode, our team of intrepid, but a bit noobish Lancers, for the most part anyway, have arrived on Sigil 1 Rotunda, the station that'll be their base of operations for the Long Rim Outreach Program. They were to meet their new boss, the Union Administrator Vic Rickards, who's unfortunately out on a mission right now, so they've had a bit of time to just uh, explore the station and uh, hang out and get to know each other. Val went to a uh, sparry gaming hall and had a little tussle with Petrocles. Matt found a strange old lady at a repair shop, robot repair shop, that had some strange prophecies for him. And now we're going to check in on a couple of the other characters, see what they've been up to. There's kind of a cantina sort of area on the station. And Rusk, you walk in, and you might be accompanied by the rest of these guys. That's up to you. Mm-hmm. And you see that there's actually someone, a group of people near the back of the cantina who are kind of giving a bit of a like soapbox speech right now. You uh, listen in and you hear workers' rights and labor rules and regulations and that kind of thing. And you actually recognize a logo on their jackets, which is of a blue sky. And you know that these people belong to a group called the Ungratefuls, which you have definitely encountered in your time as a Union soldier throughout the years. Mm-hmm. There's a uh, kind of neighboring empire known as the Kraken Trade Baronies, which is allied with the Union, but kind of just barely. <laughs> and uh, the Ungratefuls are a rebel group inside of the Kraken Trade Baronies. So you have occasionally crossed mech lances with them before. And you know that they are none too fond of the Union as they feel that at the very least the Union is complicit in the mistreatment that they believe that they are under. All right. I uh, go up and cross my arms and just listen to what kind of... uh, Propaganda. Yeah, propaganda, exactly. (laughs) What kind of propaganda they're spewing. The Ungratefuls, they sprung up of like a mining uh, operation in the Trade Baronies, which is what the blue sky represents, the blue sky after they come out of the mines. Mm-hmm. And most of it is about the trade baronies treat them like garbage and they're essentially in indentured servitude. And the trade baronies is pretty active in the colonization of the Dawnline shore. So there's also a lot of crack in trade baronies and so ungrateful activity here in the long run. And they are also here uh, advocating for uh, workers and labor rights. Huh. Why, why don't you guys just join the union? We got great benefits, you know. I get to see lots of places. Uh, I don't know, it doesn't seem so bad to me. Are you uh, interrupting their speech and approaching them to say uh, Not necessarily. I'm I'm basically grumbling and like kind yeah, of saying sure. it to like the guy next to me. Sure. Like, I don't know, no idea who this guy is. I'm just like <laughs> talking to him. You know, like what an old person would do. <laughs> yeah, I think you glance over and it's, you know, it's just some old spacer or something that's beside you and gives you a, a shrug. <laughs> it, it goes on for a little bit and then eventually they disperse and hand out some pamphlets and that kind of thing. But as a soldier kind of career soldier are you the type to wear your uniform around 
on yeah. a daily basis. Or, yeah. yeah. He doesn't wear like his full fatigues or whatever, but he wears like the essentially the army like sweatpants and all that kind sure, of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It says army on the butt. You know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> Are the letters sparkly or? No, army green. Right. Keep it classy. Yeah, right. As the ungratefuls disperse, they definitely kind of notice a union uh, rep here. And you just get kind of a glare from across the cantina. Kind of a, you know, this is our station. We got an eye out on you. But they don't push it any farther than that. They sit down and eat their food. All right. I really don't pay them any mind, actually. Like, mm-hmm. I'm used to aggression. Passive aggression like this, that's totally fine. Like, they're allowed <laughs> to feel disgruntled or whatever towards me as, as long as they don't, like, yeah. act on it. I'm like, whatever. If they're feeling that way, that's their prerogative. So. Sounds good. I pay them no mind. I get my food. I sit down, you know, chat to my buddies here. It's a free space. We're all allowed to be here. So I'm not, I'm not going to start none. And you don't get the sense that they're about to start nothing mm-hmm. either. You probably won't uh, find a friend in that area of the station anyway. Yeah, I feel the tension in the air, but it's mm-hmm. it just rolls off my back. Petrocles, let's say you're here too, or at least nearby in the uh, cantina, sitting down eating some lunch, and you see a few kids that are running around. One of them's got some like cardboard armor that they've fashioned. They're running around chasing the other ones. And they see it sitting there with a bunch of adults and like a weird robot. And <laughs> one of them comes over and says, Hey, we're playing land, so do you want to play? Petrocles is taken aback by them approaching him. He actually hasn't been among civilian children very often. And so he stares at them blankly and is like, You're you're running a, a, a simulation? Oh, no, I just got this uh, cupboard sword. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Right. <laughs> I like this kid already. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I I can't. And he looks back to his food kind of glumly and feels the weight of his real sword on his belt and looks away from the kids playing. The kid uh, looks pretty disappointed and says, Oh, uh, well, my, my name's Jeremy. Come find me later if you want to play. <laughs> he wastes no time to run them back off with his friends there and you see them running around giggling and pushing each other over and that kind of thing. One of them runs into an adult. Oh, what a poor little Petrocles. Doesn't even know how to play. <laughs> mm-hmm. So sad. Poor Petrocles, another drink. <laughs> <laughs> Light him up a smoke. Down the swig. <laughs> Is there anything else that you guys want to do during your downtime here? Sean, you hadn't got a reserve for Petrocles yet. So, you know, if you want to do one of the downtime moves, you can do that to try to wrangle something up or think of something else you want to do or just play it by ear. The thing that Petrocles is is doing when he's not just like hanging out with these other team members, mm-hmm. he is working on Ares' right hand, touching up the stencils and the paints that like just they don't go on quite right when the, the printer spits them out. Right. So he's touching things up and, you know, drawing his minotaurs and manticores and stuff like that on his tank legs or on the mech legs in order to get them looking just right. Because, you know, part of this is that he's honoring his god. So he's working on that stuff. Okay. Which maybe is a get organized. Yeah. If there's kind of a particular project you want to run or like a particular outcome you want out of this. If you're just like working on your mech and kind of tuning it up and doing maintenance, we could like roll and get you one of the mech gear reserves, maybe something like that. Sure. We should get you to roll though. So do you want to roll one of your skills? 
Yeah. I think I'm going to do a lead or inspire because he's thinking that his like the the war paint that he puts both on himself and on to his mech are about conveying a message to his teammates and his enemies cool. uh, alike. That works for me. Cool. So I got plus two on that. That gets me a seven. Yeah, I think you're in an, a new environment and you don't have all the equipment that you're used to here. And again, the kind of off-brand printers that you're using and that kind of thing. So I think you're not quite as happy with it as you had wanted. But Val has also been spending a lot of time working on her uh, mech here. So I think you guys kind of coordinate a little bit and we're able to get you some extra repairs for the mission here. Sweet. Near the end of this kind of week of uh, time off, you guys are wandering about the station and you get a call from Jeffrey. And he says, uh, please return to the office immediately. It's it's code red. Oh, just hurry. Val grabs her gear and starts heading over. We all head over there ASAP. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. With really high efficiency, I gather all my gear and just head straight to. Yeah, even more efficient. Uh, Unlike most of the rest of the time, while the crew's been traveling around, Matt is not like dutifully following behind. He's like getting there as quickly as possible. He has a duty to fulfill. You burst into the office and you see Jeffrey there and he has gone pale like he's seen a ghost and he's sweating nervously. And he says, I I told you that the Vic was on a mission. He was was sent to mediate a labor dispute on a nearby mining colony. I, I just got this message from the labor rep. He taps a few buttons, a screen lights up, and a woman appears on the screen. She looks uh, kind of you know, strong and sturdy, but a bruised face and actually a recently wrapped uh, wound around the forehead. She's wearing kind of worker's uh, equipment and uh, holding a, a hard hat in her side right now. You see just a recorded message that says, uh, This is a, a Philly brand, a labor rep for the, the Shining Atoll workers. We asked Vic to come help us negotiate. Things were going all right, but but then suddenly it all went to hell. Raiders showed up during the negotiations, started blasting. I don't know who they were, but they didn't even say what they wanted. They took Vic, his NHP friend, and his shuttle, too. Needless to say, the negotiations have gone a bit sideways. Everyone's blaming everybody else. I'll, I'll try to smooth things over here, but I wanted to let you know so you can get your man back ASAP before something untowards happens to him. I included the coordinates of last I saw them. Uh, good luck. And Jeffrey is wringing his hands and tugging in his uniform. And he's like, uh, well, we have to go get him back. Uh, I'll get your ship. I'll get you a ship ready. Uh, uh, and he's kind of panicking a bit. Val puts a really muscular hand or yeah, arm on his uh, shoulder and just says, Jeffrey, take a deep breath. You can do this, Jeffrey. Go get us a ship. He goes to his computer and starts typing furiously. And he says, I've got a, got a ship ready for you. It'll be ready to go in the morning. Uh, oh. He points to the screen and shows a docking bay number on it. And he says, I'll, I'll get your mech sent over. Unless there's any last minute changes you want to make. Uh, there's no time for changes. I just want to uh, be clear on our mission parameters. You said that Philly Bren said that Vic... He's missing in action. He fills you in a bit of the background information you didn't have, which was that Vic had been sent to this place called the Shining Atoll, which is a big mining area, to mediate a labor dispute there. And he was accompanied by uh, an NHP. The NHP is a non-human person, and these are kind of advanced artificial intelligences. And you do know the AI as well. At least she was in the dossier as Vic's main assistant here, named Septima 7 Chi. 
Jeffrey continues and says, according to what uh, Philly said, I guess uh, some kind of raider showed up and kidnapped him. Uh, they got Vic, they got Septima, and his shuttle. We know kind of roughly where they went, thanks to Philly. And I, I can start trying to bring up some information about that area. And he goes back to the computer. Any readouts you can get us on the layout of the battlefield would be greatly appreciated. Mm-hmm. If the enemy has a stronghold we need to infiltrate. I want blueprints. He comes back a few minutes later with that information. It'll be in a kind of tightly packed asteroid patch, not in a naturally formed belt, but an area where a bunch of asteroids have been towed together for mining purposes, right? This is a very old area. It had been mined out long ago, and it's just basically a bunch of hollow asteroids. There is, you know, the remnants of old equipment and abandoned bases and that kind of thing. There's not a lot of good detail about that area. You know, it's all kind of small blurry pictures from passing scout probes and that kind of thing, because there's nothing there, as far as they knew, anyway. Based on the directions and the coordinates, you can pinpoint where you think there would be, uh, looks like there's some records of an old SecCom mining base there. And SecCom was the previous iteration of Union. Val shakes her head when she hears SecCom. She hates Mm -hmm. SecCom. SecCom does not have a particularly good uh, reputation. They went a bit full fascist for a bit there. Yikes. But gave birth to the third union, or third committee, I should say, which is the one that's actually doing a fair bit of good work right now. All right, looking at this, looks like we'll be fighting in zero G. Is that accurate? It's possible. Uh, You know, certainly if you end up in an encounter outside of the base, yes. Inside the bases, we'll probably have a low gravity environment, which your mechs should be able to compensate for. But outside of the base, that's a possibility. Understood. Do we expect the base to have many defenses, automated turrets, force field walls, anything like that? These bases were fairly well um, reinforced. There's always some piracy in this area as well. They just have to survive in the vacuum of space. So the main entrance in will likely be reinforced, might have an energy shield, which, you know, you, you could blast through eventually, but it might be a better idea to try to you know override the door controls or something like that. All right, Vertigo Squad, are we ready? Let's load out. For the Union. Ancestors give me strength. Patrocles pulls his bronze sword, holding it into the center of the circle <laughs> of the squad. Says, may Ares guide our blades and watch our heads. Uh, right. Uh, yeah. yeah. Don't worry, it's a good thing. And uh, he puts his gun on top of your sword. Just as <laughs> that pistol he got recently. <laughs> Val puts her axe in. <laughs> Matt reaches out and, like, bonks the gun on top of the sword, like a little fist bump sort of thing. Makes sense. You're you're your own weapon, so. Yeah. All right, we're loading out. We're ready to go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just so you guys you know, know the general flow of the game, you do have the opportunity now if you want to make any adjustments to your mech because it only takes a few hours to print out something new. You also have the choice now of trying to cash in maybe some of these reserves to find out more information or something like that or to claim some supplies mm-hmm. that you think you might need on the mission. So we expect to be inside. Sounds like it, yeah. They'd be hiding inside this mining base, which would be inside the asteroid itself. For supplies, could I get like a map or something or a layout or at least an idea of what we're expecting inside? The old second committee bases, a lot of that information is not available anymore. Okay. Not at least through you know official channels. Maybe you might be able to talk to someone on the station who might know something about that kind of thing, but not through uh, Jeffrey's terminal here anyway. Okay, could I get something that would, like a drill, to maybe, if it's a mine, there might be areas that we can 
just make a hole through or something. Something for breaching purposes. Yeah, something like that would be fine. And like in the sprawl, you can save the supplies to use during the mission. And you can decide what it is then. Okay, and do like flashback style. Cool. Yeah, but you just need to decide now whether you're bringing it with you is the thing. Okay. Yes, I will bring my supplies. Yeah, and that could be uh, any number of things like, yeah, you know, maybe it's a drill. Maybe it's an oxygen tank. Maybe it's you know some other kind of thing like that that will come in handy later. Mm-hmm. Rusk believes in being as well prepared as possible. So any extra stuff he is likely... Not to leave behind, so. Do you guys want to bring your extra repairs just in case or save them? Yeah, bring them. Yeah, definitely bring those. Bring them, and I'm switching my mortar out for heavy machine gun, and I switch my jump boosters for smoke charges. As you guys are getting ready, Jeffrey's kind of in the background looking nervous, and he points out one thing. He says, uh, there's something weird. This mission was really sudden. It was out of nowhere. I don't know who else would have known that that's where... Vic had gone. So either this was just some horrible random accident or, or something else. So somebody tipped them off. I don't know. So just be careful, I guess. <laughs> He's starting to get nervous again, but does his breathing exercises to calm down. The next morning, Jeffrey uh, calls you guys up again. You guys have rested well, done the final adjustments on your mechs to get ready for this operation. And he uh, directs you to a, a launch bay where your ship is waiting it's kind of like a carry-all type ship. So it's like a basically just wings with a big empty thing in the center. But then there's like modular containers that you put in that middle section. Think like the, the green Thunderbird. And right now it's got this mech repair and carrying compartment in the center. And it is called the tender embrace of a lover. <laughs> and you nice. can see that your mechs have already been transported to the uh, bay and have been loaded up and you're ready to go. Do any of you pilots... Or do you want just a little AI pilot for this? I'm curious how our mechs are launched. Are we inside a ship or are they like dangling underneath? Or It's more like the paratroopers jumping out of a plane kind of thing. Like there's a, a bay that will open up and you guys would step out or jump out okay. or what? Cool. What, whichever's appropriate. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Personally, I'm used to just sitting in my mechs and being transported and being dropped yeah. off. So that's what I'll be doing. Sounds good. There's a basic autopilot AI built into this machine. It's just you type in the coordinates. It'll take you there. No problem. And you're off to the races. Matt's going to make conversation with the autopilot just over like USB wire or whatever. Yeah. Just going to link in. And They're not much of a conversationalist. <laughs> They're a pretty singular purpose device designed to pilot this ship and make sure their passengers arrive intact. Sounds like Matt could really relate to it then. Since <laughs> yeah, I mean, Matt makes um, yeah, d- duty-driven small talk mm-hmm. and just has a really nice conversation, which, cool. if any of you could hear it, is basically a loop of greetings and uh, affirmations. <laughs> but we return. can't hear it. It's like, No, it's happening entirely digitally. He just like okay. linked into the console. Well, then in that case, <laughs> Val just looks at Matt and is just like, wow. I wonder what's going on in that in that AI brain of his. Yeah, you can see like, you know, some lights blinking behind mm-hmm. his eyes or whatever, but no yeah. idea. You assume maybe he's piloting, maybe he's helping the pilot. <laughs> Who knows? Mike, he's either like reaching enlightenment or maybe planning on how to kill all of us. I'm not sure. <laughs> so after a short while of excellent conversation, you <laughs> reach the asteroid patch and it's... Again, kind of really tightly packed because all these asteroids have been brought here to more be more easily mineable. And you head towards the likely location of the base 
projected from the coordinates Philly gave you and the little bit of information that Jeffrey was able to pull up. Most of the asteroids here are empty, hollowed out husks. You know, you can see evidence that there was once an operation there, but most of it has been stripped or abandoned. But you do see one asteroid in the distance with signs of activity. There's a metal structure visible built into the side of the asteroid. And the sensors on the ship can pick up some small energy and heat readings from the asteroid. So it looks like some of the machinery is still operational, which is not what you normally would have expected anyway. As you approach, suddenly alarm bells begin to blare and a flashing red warning light appears on the HUD. And you can see from the side of the asteroid the flashes of thrusters, trails of smoke, and four anti-ship missiles launching from the supposedly abandoned base. Shit. Your ship automatically switches over to an evasion program, but again, it's kind of a bulky transport with a simple AI. It's unlikely to evade all of them on its own, especially in the tightly packed belt here. What do you do? I think if Val feels like it's unlikely that we're going to dodge all of them, the best thing to do is to jump out and... Do you have the ability to fly in space? Not really, but I can. I do have a booster jet, so I can can probably zip Just around a bit. Embrace the vacuum. Yeah. If you don't have an EVA suit or EVA module, then you just get a bunch of minuses, basically, when you're in space or zero G, but you can still operate. The bigger problem, if you just abandon ship, would be getting back because the, the ship took a while to get here at, you know, at ship speed. At mech speed, it would take the rest of your life to get back to the station. We're still moving at ship speed, right? We're like kilometers from anything, I gotta assume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, okay. you got time to think about it. Does the carrier ship have any, like, onboard weapons whatsoever? No, it's really just designed to pick stuff up and move it. Again, it is modular, so in theory, you could there could be, like, a weapon module attached, but currently it's occupied by the hangar for your mechs. Okay. I think Patrocles is going to run up to whatever control panel or piloting panel he can get to and attempt to assist with evasive maneuvers. Maybe he can realign some shields or something to deke the ship around to avoid these missiles. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, again, the AI is pretty simple and it's just running a basic evasion program. Having a pilot there to help will make a big difference for sure. You do have read a situation, which sounds like exactly like what you were trying to do there. Okay, I'm going to roll it. And this is kind of going to be a skill challenge of sorts. So, you know, anybody who can contribute and try to figure out the solution here. Oh, I got seven plus two for a nine. Whoops. Patrocles runs up to the uh, computer terminal and tries to take over from the AI. Now, we, we didn't talk about helping. Helping is a thing you can try to do. Would it be possible for me to help Patrocles since I'm still wired into the console? I can give the AI a pep talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Teamwork. If people are helping, add one accuracy to the role, regardless of how many help. But basically, you're just complicit in any failures that would arrive as well. Perfect. So, yeah, if what Matt is doing is helping out with that, then he would have given uh, Petrocles a accuracy. So plus another D6, okay. which you need at least a one on there. <laughs> that's a three. So that's cool. total 12. Awesome. So that is the success. So Matt actually plugs into the system and is able to interface with the AI and get the most out of it while Petrocles is guiding the ship and pointing out you know, good hiding spots and that kind of thing. Oh, let's get behind this asteroid. We are supposed to, of course, choose to help before the roll, but we didn't know Sorry. we could do that. So. <laughs> no, 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 that's not a problem. So that's one success. Again, I was going to do this as a bit of a skill challenge, so if somebody else has a way they want to help. I have a skill that I was considering using. It's called Get Somewhere Quickly. Hmm. So I want to hit the Space NOS, I guess. 
<laughs> I don't know how else to describe it, but maybe I head back to the fuel lines or something like that and turn a couple cranks to give us some more speed. I figure the, the quicker we're there, the fewer rockets they can shoot at us from a distance. You take up the co-pilot seat then and put your hand on the uh, accelerator there. Jam it forward. All right. He's like splitting wires, splicing wires together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the stuff that like Han does on the uh, Millennium Falcon to make it work. There was told me not to do this. <laughs> Where's my hydro spanner? <laughs> so you can roll a d20 plus two. Okay. I rolled an eight, so I failed. Oh, that did not work like I thought. <laughs> <laughs> so there are options. When you fail a roll, you or fail a narrative roll, you have the option of pushing it, which means you get to re-roll it, but the roll becomes risky, which means that there could be complications on the roll. So you can try again; you might succeed, but you know, you blow something out or uh, cause some damage to the ship or something like that. I think I will push it. Maybe, maybe it's this one. I think it's this one. There you go. Ooh, ah, that, that did it. There we go. So you do succeed, but there will be a, a complication. But that's a pretty good roll, 19. Yeah, the first time you try to like kind of jump the ship, just with the thrusters, you find out that as a you know stock AI-piloted model, there's limiters on the speed, but you're able to, you go back in and yeah, start splicing wires and uh, overriding protocols and that kind of thing, and you're able to get a little more juice out of it. But you have basically left the control panel. <laughs> you had to rip up you know the control panel and start crossing some wires and stuff. So there's some damage to the ship that... Might need to be dealt with at a later date. Well, it happens. They can repair this later. Yep. Not a big deal, right, guys? Whatever gets us through the battle. Val, do you want to get us one more success? I can try. Um, <laughs> Pretty sure you just pieced out. <laughs> that was my original plan. So I think she was basically ready to just jump out. But seeing all these guys take action to get the ship to be evading the missiles and everything, she feels like... We have a chance to survive in here. So she heads to the exit hatch and just kind of clings to the side of the ship and leans out. And my mech has the ability to project shields. Can I do that in between the incoming missiles and our ship? Yeah, totally. I'll allow that. That sounds cool. These shields are meant to be used in mech combat, which is usually a little more close range. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the big explosion and blowback from this missile will be dangerous. Right. Yeah, I'm improvising. Exactly, yeah. So let's call it a survive roll. I rolled a 12 plus 2, so 14. Awesome. Nice. With the additional evasion and speed that the guys in the bridge managed to pull off, you guys kind of zip around an asteroid at the last moment and three of the rockets crash into the asteroid. But the fourth one is still on your tail and uh, Volka steps out in the battle bore and projects this shield and there's this huge blast of fire as the missile hits the shield and blows around her. She manages to just get the timing right to block that last uh, missile. Cool. All right, Val, you okay back there? Oh yeah, never been better. Great work, Valkyrie. Yeah, great work, everyone. Let's team Mm -hmm. effort. Which means you are approaching the base here itself. Ooh. You guys approach the metal structure that you see on the side of this asteroid And you see basically there's two long um, tarmacs or landing strips, although right now there's a bunch of scattered debris and crates and barrels and things. Again, it looks like whatever this place was meant to be used for has been long uh, abandoned. On the left and right of this little carved out asteroid, you see there's big tanks that would have been filled 
with raw materials waiting for ships to load up. And at the very far end of this uh, landing strip, you see the entrance to the base itself, which is a big set of thick metal doors. And as you approach, you see that they're just closing, out of which have walked six mechs. Oh, oh boy. Geez. The door shuts behind them, and you see, just for a second, the shimmer of an energy shield over the blast doors. And you see, again, these six mechs, they all seem to have kind of very ragtag colors, and it looks like, from where you're standing, a lot of kind of ramshackle parts and, you know, different print jobs, and these things are cobbled together a little more than uh, your fresh-off-the-printer mechs. Well, for most of you, anyway, they're fresh. So you see a few things here. Again, there are those six mechs. You see various small barrels and crates and things, which would be soft cover for you. You see there's a few of the big tanks, the two big red ones and the big green one over there. That would be hard cover, as well as the buildings on the side are hard cover. And then you see off on the left and right, you see small little uh, structures there. And these look like little control rooms. And you gather that should you want to try to override the energy shield and the door controls, that would be the place to do it. If you feel more like blasting down the door, well, then the door is right there. <laughs> so gotcha. these red barrels are heavy cover? Is that what you said? Oh, sorry, hard cover is the hard word. Cover. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, these are like gigantic tanks that would have been full of ore and melted copper and whatever. Gotcha. Copper. Why not? Vertigo Squad, keep in mind that you can use Ares' right hand as cover through the battle. Oh, understood. Sick. Are we in zero G right now? It's very low G. It would probably affect mm-hmm. your pilot more if for some reason you chose to go out of your mech. Right. But this area is just enough gravity that your mech can compensate for it. So when it comes to initiative, players always go first. You guys get to choose one of your mechs to activate, and then I activate one of my mechs, and then you activate one of yours, and I activate one of mine, so on and so forth, until they have all been activated. It's supposed to be kind of a fairly open information system so you know you can see the whole map you can see the names of the mechs which won't mean much to you right now but eventually you'll learn what you know what barricade means what hive means so on and so forth Mm -hmm. you can also see some of them have two words that means they have a template applied to them so like the bastion has been modified by the spacer template so it's a little different than a regular bastion cool and you notice way in the back there's a tiny little guy called commander scout there and you can see that that looks like the nicest uh, mech on the field. Despite its small size, it's much sturdier than some of the others there. Or at least well put together. All right. So can we, like, see these names overlaid from the inside of our cockpit on, like, the uh, yeah, heads-up exactly. display or whatever? Your HUD pops up and, you know, says, oh, scanning models in the Union database, and it pulls up some similar models. And, you know, you can kind of have a rough idea of what these things would do. Cool. But obviously, again, some of them have been modified. So All right. Anyone want to do first volley? Uh, strategically I feel like maybe the best thing to do would be get whoever is going to do more supportive abilities like Sean your character is more of like a support character right so potentially you can do things that will help the rest of us for the rest of the combat yeah so I'm going to move first I'm going to move up four remember that you can use me as hardcover so if you want to stand beside me or behind me that gives you an advantage against people who are further away from you than me So I move four spaces up towards the center of the room, heading towards Spacer Bastion, this big, big tank boy on the right side here. And this is just, yeah, a big hulking uh, mech, very thick armor plating. You see it's got a big shield that it's carrying and armor plates attached to the other arms and legs and weak points. And you see it's got a big old grenade launcher in its hand. Okay. I'm going to do two quick actions, I think they're called. 
Yeah. So first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to raise a banner. This is my core system ability called Rallying Cry. Ares' right hand starts to trumpet like a heavy metal war song. And you guys, I start to pipe that music into uh, all of your uh, your feeds. We're all start rocking out. And allied characters with line of sight to my mech pick up on my radio signal. And you gain resistance to all damage and heat and gain plus one accuracy on all checks and saves until the end of my next turn. Cool. You've activated your core power there, which are once permission special powers yeah require a huge amount of energy to run so you can only do it once permission but i want to do it yeah oh yeah you definitely want to blast these guys out out of here and then i'm gonna uh, second action deploy a smoke grenade so a smoke grenade it is range five and everybody in a blast two area gets soft cover until the end of my next turn so aries right hand throws a smoke grenade launches out of his chest or its chest and plunk, 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 and a smoke cloud appears in between the right hand group of enemies and between uh, them and Vestige and PCB. Cool. Sounds good. And I'm done. You did a move and two quick actions. You have the option of overheating for a third quick action. No. Nobody's in my range. Sounds good. So next, you see one of the other big guys here start to trundle forward. This one is the barricade, and you see it has a mobile printer, a big backpack full of uh, glowing energy, and uh, it leads out to kind of like an, an emitter that it's holding in its hand, and it starts basically just pooping out little nanites that uh, kind of build up on each other and pile up into um, a big cube of cover, and you see these gray walls of goo assemble. Interesting. And that's all it's going to do. So next is a PC turn. Technically, the rule says that it is the last player to go that chooses the next player to go. So it is technically Sean's choice. I like that. That's cool. Typically, you guys are probably just going to work it out and agree on someone, but there might be some weird situation where there's a disagreement and Sean will get to decide. Are those Mm -hmm. mobile printer cubes hardcover or are they softcover? They are hardcover. Okay. I might be able to get line of sight on them because I can fly. So I might be able to shoot them from up high. Do Do you have enough range? Uh, it's range 20. Okay, yeah. So Exodus pops on his comms. Vestige, if you can get a higher vantage, go for it now. Yeah, I can do that. I'm within range here, so I'm I'm just going to move once and then do a full action of firing my howitzer at whatever this big guy's name is, Barricade? Sure. So I'll fire my howitzer at the Barricade, at oh. Barricade Mech. So the howitzer is an arcing weapon, right? So it can pop over any cover that's in the way. So I'm adding a plus one for Sean. Sean, you provided a plus one to accuracy, I believe. You're adding a D6. Yeah, an accuracy. And a fire. I rolled a 12 to hit. Which hits. Yeah, it's kind of a big lumbering target, so no problem. Excellent. Yeah, howitzer uh, connects with the side. And I deal seven damage. Yeah. I have successfully made contact. All units work on barricade that's a pretty successful hit the grenade lobs over the uh, cubes there because it was arcing over the cover it hits them right on the top of the head you see a big plume of fire from the howitzer but it does kind of melt the top of these printer cubes as well nice you see from near the door behind the barricade is the little commander unit 
Commander Scout. And you see this kind of small chicken walker looking dude. He's got a, like a big antenna and a satellite emitter on the top of his head. He dashes in between the barricade and the bastion, the two big tanks. And you see from the emitter kind of a kind of shimmering light. And that shimmering light expands. And you see all the uh, mechs around him begin to shimmer with light and then disappear no. as it activates its cloaking field. Fuck. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. By the blade of Ares. And we'll see you in two weeks. Thank you for listening to this episode of The House of Bob. Please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends. Hit us up on social media. We're at The House of Bob on most platforms. Come chat with us or check out our Discord. If you'd like to support the show financially, check out our Patreon. We've got a ton of bonus content, blog posts, director's commentary, one-shots, RPG zines. There's tons of content up on there now. I'd like to thank our current patrons, Luke, Sylvia, Mike, Kieran, Jessica, Tom, Bluckett12, Keith, Josh, Tyler, Scooter, Jessica, Mark, Elias, Tom, Christine, Pavel, Eamon, Brandon, Pedro, Connor, Ben, Mortimer, Thomas, James, Bits of Cake, Bruno, John, Annette, and Eli. Artwork for this episode was by Jake at Javix. Audio production by Alex of Astronomic Audio. And the music by Duke Albert and John Julius. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution. A huge thanks to the Lancer community and Pilot.net for being cool guys and gals. And uh, that's it for us. So long. Bye. Roll on. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, I remember my voice too. <laughs> Cowboy toes. <laughs> <laughs> And when we get there, Val asks PCB how, uh, what was our time? Um, how far away were we? Uh, it's a record-breaking time. time. It's a, it's it's a record, record time. I'm not going to make up a distance so you can make up a time. <laughs> Just make up a time. <laughs> it was like 750 feet. Uh, 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 one minute and 13.4 seconds. <laughs> All right. I think we can do better. <gasps> It right. probably doesn't sound good on the mic. <laughs> no, that, that's great, Jeff. It that sounds amazing. <laughs> All right. Patrick goes under private comms to uh, Matt and Rusk. He's like, <laughs> I think that Val might be the traitor. <laughs> Where did she go? I could see that. <laughs> it could be Jeffrey, though. <laughs> Jeffrey does seem nervous. He seems sketchy. Yep. Jeff, what's his name? Jeffrey Nips. Slips. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't call him Jeffrey Nips. (laughs) (laughs) When you say it right after, (laughs) Nip slips. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Nips slips. It's all the same. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> Who's art? Ah, god. <laughs>